What's going on, everyone? Chuck and Houdini with you. Welcome into the Chatter. Great show on tap today. Nick Kirby is our guest. He's the host of Chatterbox Reds on Chatterbox Sports, one of the top baseball podcasts in the country. Our fearless leader, Trace Fowler, had an idea with Chatterbox Sports, and one of his main men that hopped on board was Nick Kirby, a lifelong Reds fan, one of the biggest super fanatic analytical um Nick, if you're listening, dare I say Reds nerds in the entire world, but he's also one of the greatest conversations that you'll ever have with the Reds because he knows the team better than anyone he's plugged in and just a jolly guy to talk to. He's on the show today. We're also talking about the Cincinnati Bengals, a head coach milked his nipples, the MySpace top five fast food restaurants and much more on today's show. Houdini opening word. How are we today? We're not too bad. We're better than we were uh, on Sunday and Monday when we recorded. So um, we're working through the week. Happy hump day. Happy Thursday to everybody listening uh, when they open their podcast app. Is that because time heals all wounds or is it because Joe Burrow came out today and said it's the best he's felt after a game and that, um, you know, his ability to throw hasn't been affected. It's just his ability to move in the pocket and run for first downs, extend plays and find that extra second. And now maybe he's feeling a little bit better. And the game this weekend's coming up against Joshua Dobbs and the Arizona Cardinals. But what, what has you feeling pretty chipper today on this Thursday? It has nothing really to do with what Joe Burrow said. Um, I got to see it. I, I've seen I've seen too much devastation on the field. I mean, he did consider this week a must win. No, no shit. It, yeah, it's a must win. The season's over. Obviously, if we go into one in four and lost to the Cardinals, Titans, and God, I don't even remember though. We've lost already. It's almost the whole. I mean, we're dead last. I just saw in the article uh, talking about his quotes. We're dead liar. Dead last in yards, maybe second last in total points in the NFL. So I appreciate the confidence from Joey. Hopefully it, it translates to the field, but I got to see it before I before I get excited about that. I'm just excited that it's almost Friday, honestly. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's what you live for, baby. You just Monday through Friday, you go in autopilot mode. You do the banking every once in a while. You hop on a podcast with me. We spit some fire and then you attack town like it's 2011, 2011, a, a wonderful year. But Joe Burrow, this is look, folks, this is a pro Joe Burrow podcast, but we we tell it how it is. And Joe Burrow has sucked at football this year. I mean, there's no other way to put it um, has been splendid throughout of his career. But you know what? I said on the last show, it was Aftab Purival that put a hex on him. Maybe it was Sean Salisbury saying he's got the balls of a daytime burglar. I mean, he does not have the balls of a daytime burglar this year. He's got the balls of the sticky bandits um, from home alone right now. Just uh, basically giving Kevin McAllister his entire plan. We're going to come back at nine o'clock. We're going to give this little guy a, a time to go get himself a mac and cheese dinner. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, he's giving away the whole plans right now because everyone knows what Joe Burrow is doing. First quarterback in NFL history to attempt 150 passes in his first four games and average fewer than five yards per attempt, not completion, five yards per attempt. I mean, he is the dump down king of the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, we are. Let's make it clear, because I feel like we've done a little bit of, uh, you know, hating on Joe Burrow right now. Let's make it clear if he if he is healthy, obviously he is one of, if not the best guy in the game. OK, we love Joe Burrow. We're Athens guys. We love Joey B. But let's be realistic. If he can't do it, 
I can't watch what I watched again. Like if he comes out this week and does the same shit, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to have a panic attack. I can't have that. This is actually what it's a four o'clock game too. So that could make the Sunday scaries even worse when that 60 minutes ticker comes on. So I'm just hoping that we see a glimpse. I don't need anything perfect. Just a little spark, maybe a, maybe a, Jamar Chase, 60 yarder, something deep down the field, anything. Just just a glimmer of hope for the for the Bengals is all I'm looking for. It's just a glimmer of hope that he could throw it deep. I mean, I think he attempted a, a few wobbly ducks in the Browns game in the rain where he couldn't grip the football. But really since then, maybe in the Ravens game. Uh, but in Rams, there weren't really many deep passes. They weren't moving the ball whatsoever. The defense was just sensational. Has he thrown it deep at all? Not, not really. He threw that, yeah, against the the Ravens to T. Higgins that in kind of in the red zone, like the thirty yarder that was ended up being a terrible play, and they got picked off. I I kind of loved the aggressiveness though, because it seemed like the first one that sailed in the the air. I felt like I was watching a, a pee wee football game for the last you know few games. So he's got it. If you're going to win games in this league, when you got T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and I guess we're going to might see that Princeton receiver. Throw that kid out there today or um, on Sunday. Um, you got to throw the ball down the field. Can't think of dunk all day. Here's the interesting thing about the Bengals through four games is they go on a drive. Even the Titans, that first drive of the game, I know they got nothing but a field goal out of it, but they got it down inside the the Titans five-yard line. Uh, the first drive of the second half maybe against the Rams where they marched it right down the field, and then they had a few against the Ravens. They put together some drives where it's, it's like one drive per game where you watch them and you're like, all right, Burrow's back, Bengals are back, let's go, warm up the hands, and then it just goes right back to this mode that we saw. I, I just I don't understand what's going on with him right now. He has a lot of self-confidence. He says he's healthy. Hey, I mean, he's Joe Burrow. He's the best collegiate quarterback in history at LSU when he led one of the best teams ever. Um, he's gotten off to one of the best NFL starts in history, leading a Bengals team that was absolutely terrible to respectability right away into a Super Bowl appearance in his second year. But um, there's nothing that has shown me right now that greener grass is ahead this season. But hey, Joe thinks so. I know he's not going to step up on the podium and say, you know what, I'm just a trash can this year. You should probably start Jake Browning or AJ McCarron. But at the same time, I just I, I, I like that I like that little moxie that he has. I love the fact that there's no sane die in Joe Burrow, even if it seems like Jamar Chase in the locker room, maybe a little ticked off. Right, right. And honestly, looking at it from Jake Browning's perspective, he's got to, it's got to be tough for Jake Browning. He's like, they're doing, they're like, we know we're dead last in every statistical category. Joe Burrow is clearly injured beyond belief. And they're like, under no circumstance are we putting you in this game. We're going to sign A.J. McCarron. I've heard Kaepernick talks over starting Jake Browning. So tough, you know, prayers out to Jake Browning because that's got to be tough to be at your, you know, your job your whole life. And he's like, what what more has to happen for me to ever take a snap in the NFL? So, you know, shout out to to Jake Browning, but hopefully we, we never need him. And uh, maybe Joey will turn it around. We'll see. He's taking a few snaps. Give the man some credit. At, at this point, he's a uh, he's a seasoned he? veteran of holding the clipboard in the NFL. Reminds me of a young Charlie Fissinger, former quarterback at Notre Dame. You know, some people are on the team for a reason. It's not always for throwing forty yard spirals down the field. Sometimes it's for leading a group of men, and that's what Jake Browning does. He goes out there. He's a uh, let's just put it this way. 
He's a better leader in that tunnel than Andy Dalton ever was. You remember that Andy Dalton speech where he went out, come on, guys, we're going to work hard. Um, AJ, listen up. Listen up, AJ Green. Um, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go out there and we're going to kick their butts. All right, who day on three? One, two, three, who day? I mean, that that was actually worse than what Andy Dalton said, I'll be honest. But, yes, I, I do recall that. That was a tough one. So I think that kind of ruined Andy Dalton's, like, as the franchise quarterback um, that kind of ruined him for it. Now he's just kind of a journeyman. He's still doing pretty well, though. Shout out, Andy. What are you talking about, man? That was a uh, Eric Teffer, our producer. And we actually have two producers now. Dan, the tax man, Murphy, has hopped onto the board as our executive producer. As, as Teffer is now, um, he, he's lower on the list. He, he's just an AP at this point. But um, yeah, he, he cut that soundbite. That was Andy Dalton, whether you believe it or not. So that's where the Cincinnati Bengals stand. They're one and three. And they have the Arizona Cardinals who, who tried out Josh Dobbs, the former Tennessee volunteer. And at this point, a journeyman backup that's getting his chance. And he actually looks pretty good. My right, Bengals are minus three this weekend in Arizona. The fact that the Bengals are favorites after the way they've looked is a little bit disgusting, but it makes you wonder what does Vegas know? And that's when you hammer the Bengals sharps. I'm sure are on Cincinnati right now. Arizona is not a good team. Um, since he didn't look terrible against the Rams, I mean, they beat him. LA's nothing special, but they did take down the Colts last weekend. It's four games into the season. You don't know 100% how good or how bad this team is. All you know is what you've seen. And the eye test right now, when I put on my monocle, I mean, this team has looked absolutely disgusting. They've looked atrocious, but you can bet your ass that I'm coming out of retirement this weekend and laying my future son, TBD, his entire collegiate future on Bengals minus three in that game. I don't know about you. I know you, you, you've been staying away from the lines lately, but it's either that or the Niners minus four against the Cowboys, because I've told you, I don't think San Francisco's losing this year. I mean, that is a, that is a runaway horse right now. Brock Purdy looks good. Fred Warner on defense, um, along with Nick Bosa and, and Drake Jackson and Talanoa Hufanga. And I mean, the, the defense is stacked. You got Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey on offense, George Kittle, the people's tight end. They don't have any weak weaknesses at all a hall of fame left tackle so the 49ers as of right now are my team to beat do you have a team to beat in the nfl are you just playing the hits and going with kansas city or are you going to hop on that niners train too no i mean you, you've spoken enough about the niners this is not a 49ers podcast i'm kind of sick and tired of it um if if brock purdy as we've seen gets dinged up at all that team stinks immediately um they are they got Sam Darnold. I told you, Sam Darnold has been an orphan for years. He was in New York. He had no coach. And he kept saying, where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? And his daddy's Kyle Shanahan, the quarterback whisperer who makes anyone good, including Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy. So I think the Niners are, are going to be in a good spot. They don't have Josh Johnson anymore to roll out there. But yeah, I'm done talking about the Niners for the rest of the season until they, uh, or, or, unless their their fate crosses with the Bengals, which it does in two weeks. So we'll talk about the Niners in two weeks. But yeah, your team to beat, who is it? Um, I mean, I'd I like the Niners, and and that being said, if any of this, the juggernauts quarterbacks go out, they're, they're going to probably not be very good anymore unless you have, you know, your Gunner Minshew's out there type quarterbacks, which not many out there right now. Um, I mean, I love the Eagles still. I think the Eagles are, are nice. Um, another NFC team, I pick them, you know, when I every time I try to pick the Bengals in any one of those pools, it never works out. So I picked the, the Philadelphia Eagles. 
They got studs everywhere. They got 17 running backs. It just pisses me off that the Bengals, they got Gainwell, uh, Scott, DeAndre Swift. They have three different running backs that could really do damage in probably any NFL offense. And it seems like we just never want to pick those guys up or grab them on the Bengals roster. Not any slight to Joe Mixon so far, but these other teams are gathering town and we don't seem to want to do that often. Um, but yeah, I like the Eagles if we're talking overall um, team that I think is uh, possibly going to win a Super Bowl this year. You know, I am usually the king of segues. It's something that, you know, God didn't give me many abilities in the classroom. My ACT scores, if you're listening, I, I promise you my ACT and my SAT were lower than yours. I was not a scholar by any means. But one thing he did give me was the ability to think on the fly. And that's why I made it as a broadcaster and to transition into the next thing. But there's really no veering into this one. So let's just read the headline. Oregon State head coach apologizes after milking his nipples during the game. Yeah, their head coach, Jonathan Smith, um, is under some fire and had to apologize for literally pulling that farmer from the water boy where he looked into the sky and started rubbing his nips. Um, that happened and he had to apologize for it. Did you see that live? Did you see it on SportsCenter or are you just hearing about this for the first time? I don't I don't think they uh, I don't think they showed that on SportsCenter. I think they thought it was too graphic. I saw it on uh, Twitter. It was all over Twitter. Decent amount of chatter. I mean, I thought this was America. A man is not allowed to rub on his breasts on the sidelines of a football game. The land that of the free and the home of the brave. That is brave. And he was, and apparently, and he had to apologize. I saw that clip too. He had to apologize um, for his actions at like the presser this week. Um, and he said he will not be doing the milking call again. Apparently, he was trying to milk the clock by rubbing his teats which um, I've never seen it done. I was uh, I was pretty impressed by the call. I think he needs to continue to do it. He took a page out of Gaylord Fokker's book where he, you know, I, I, I went up to little Geppetto and, uh, you know, I, I grabbed the teat and, and just, uh, you know, milked it into a little saucer. Oh, you can uh, you can milk cats, Greg. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, you can uh, you can milk anything with nipples. Well, I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? So that's uh, immediately what I thought of there when I watched that clip. Ridiculousness uh, doesn't seem that graphic by any means. It is America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And that man just found out a way. I mean, everyone knew what he was doing. No one on the, the team looked over to the sideline and said, what's going on with coach? They all knew, oh, he's he's saying milk it. Milk it. Don't don't take the snap. Run out this clock. Very special guest today. Now that the Cincinnati Reds season is wrapped up, we have to bring in. We're just going to nickname him the source. Nick Kirby, who I was first introduced to, I, I guess, when I was doing Reds live. But I really got accustomed to his work. And it was unfortunate that I got accustomed to his work during this time. It was during the uh, sell the team, Bob season. And I know there are still some sell the team, Bob people out there, but it was loud. It was that very loud season where the Reds did not win many games and lost a hundred of them. And he was giving us content daily because he is the biggest Cincinnati Reds fan. I think in the world, he knows the team as well as anyone up there with Chris Welsh and company, Nick Kirby of chatterbox sports and chatterbox Reds. One of the top baseball podcasts in the entire country. What is going on, my friend? Hey, thanks guys for having me. Uh, yeah, not sure what I'm supposed to do every night without, uh, without Reds baseball. It's been a, it's been a nice break, but I, I'm kind of like getting the itch back. So I appreciate you having me on. You're a Muskies fan, right? So you, you got some Xavier basketball coming up soon that you can potentially talk about. Maybe fire up uh, Chatterbox Muskies. 
I got a lot of work to do to catch up. You know, the the Reds consume so much of me that I'm like trying to piece together. And then Davis got like 10 new players this year. So it's like, oh, man, this is a, a steep learning curve for sure. So just a little background on on Nick Kirby. First season with Chatterbox Reds. Obviously, this is the chatter with Chuck and Houdini. It's presented by Chatterbox Sports. And the reason that we're on this platform is because we believe in it. They got a lot of uh, good, young, talented people. And, and forget just talented. People that work really hard. And, and Kirby is one of those guys. How many games did you miss this year? I mean, you were doing hour-long post-game shows and then uploading the podcast with extra production work afterwards for, I'd say, at least 150 of those games over under 149.5? So I uploaded 160 podcasts. Now, that that's that's a lie because the doubleheaders were one. So it was I uploaded like 150. I only missed two days of uploading them and i think i missed about eight live shows okay so, i mean, I mean that, that but we also did it we also did it we also did every spring training game too so that's the definition of a grind and uh we all respect you for it let's get to the big topic out of the gate there's a ton we're going to get into today future pitching trades could india be on the move how much of a genius is nick crawl but let's start with joey Votto. Obviously, the, the team has an option on him. Will they bring back Joey Votto next year? Could he potentially take less money? Or was that wonderful moment where he tipped his cap to the crowd, took a couple of minutes in, in pure Joey Votto-like fashion, and said, hold on, I, I got to go hit. Could that be the last we've seen of Joey Votto? I feel like all the writing was on the wall that that was the last of Joey Votto. Uh, I feel no more strongly than the fact that Votto started every home game that last week, and then he sat on the road like three or four games in a row. So I, that to me was just David Bell knowing this is it. I got to have him in here these last couple games at home. There's a possible. There's no way the Reds are picking up that that the thirteen million dollar difference. The only way I see it is if uh, they brought him back on a lesser. Deal, but the the issue is the Reds have so many players right now that need to be a DH or only play first base. So that's where it it, it kind of becomes challenging. To is there really room? And and I don't almost feel like it wouldn't be fair to Joey Votto to put him in a situation where you're going to have to to have him be on the back seat. You know what I mean? So I, it'll be interesting to see what all they do. My gut says that was the end, though. Yeah, I mean, do you th were you one of the guys on, in the camp of when Vada was playing down the stretch, and obviously didn't have a you know a great season, batting around two hundred? Were you got were you on the camp personally of you know Joey Votto? He's done so much for the franchise, keep him playing, or were you more in the camp of hey, we're we're in a playoff chase, let's put some of these younger guys in? Well, it's a little it was a little more complicated because of Jake Fraley's like playing on a half a foot or whatever it was. If Jake Fraley would have been fully healthy, I don't think there was any reason you should have played Joey Votto on the stretch. But the Jake Fraley injury and just how bad he looked, I think kind of made it I don't want to say excusable, but but kind of in that sentiment to where it, I don't know if there really was a a, a full-fledged better option. Um it was it was a really weird September because you had so many young players like Noah Marte like played like 
10 big league games and he's like forced in. And then you have all these like good players like Fraley and Votto and India that are not fully healthy. And it's like, how healthy are these guys? How, how, how proven are these young guys? And it was, it was a, it was a hell of a juggling act in September. I would not have wanted, there's no month I've ever not wanted to beat David Bell more than the month of September, just because there was like so many different factors into every single decision just to put out your best nine every day. Votto, just to kind of age the guy right here and put it into perspective how long he's been with the Reds. I don't want to go with a season of when he came up, although he came up, I'm pretty sure. Was it last season of Jerry Naren or first season of Dusty Baker? Is right around that point. You have an answer? I think, I think I think he was, he was I think Dusty's, Dusty's first season was 2008. So I think he came up right before. Maybe maybe Dusty's first season was 2007. I don't know. I think it was yeah, it was it was right around that Jerry Naren Dusty Baker crossover with uh Josh Hamilton involved. I think it was probably right after Josh Hamilton and uh and that squad was was added to the fold, but to 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 age it right here. I remember going to a subway out on the west side. Joey Votto made me a sandwich. Um, him and Brandon Phillips. I was a sophomore in high school at the time. So sophomore in high school, I'm now a grown ass man that uh, no longer can eat Subway sandwiches because I think they're disgusting. Um, sorry about that Subway. They're not going to be a sponsor anymore. But um, 2008 or 2009, whenever it was, Joey Votto served me that sandwich. And back then he was so shy. He was just kind of let's get real. He was kind of awkward. He was kind of goofy. Like he just didn't really, I thought he was kind of a hard ass to be honest with you. Like he's just a, a, a classic baseball hard ass. that doesn't have a big personality. And we came to find out that not only was this guy, one of the most lovable human beings out there, but he was funny. Like I would not be shocked if Joey Votto was in a broadcast booth, making people laugh for a long time. Take me through your opinions of how this guy changed throughout the years. All right. I got, I got to give you the full scoop on this because I looked it up while, while you were talking, and this is a wild situation. So Jerry Naren's last year was 2007. Remember, Joey Votto debuted in September 2007, but Jerry Naren was fired on July 1st, so he actually was part of the Pete Mc, McCannon era uh, at the end of her, like his like three months of being the Reds manager, and then Dusty came in in 2008. Uh, but Joey Votto... Uh, yeah, what what a wild career! It, just how different he was in in 2010. How he won that MVP and like wanted no part of the publicity whatsoever from it, and then just to completely flip and embrace it. I still think I don't think there was enough made about what he did in 2021 to have the kind of season that he did at 37 years old. There's only a handful of players in the history of baseball that have had that kind of season at that old uh, at that age. So. Uh, yeah, just an incredible career. It, it's these options suck, right? Like that, that there's no finality to it, right? You're kind of stuck in, you can't just like, I wish that this would have just been like his last year and they could have fully celebrated him, but it really kind of put everything into this weird situation at the end of the year. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And Kind of on that note, so we're we're saying that Joey Votto is not gonna they're not gonna pick up his he's not worth twenty five million at this point in his career. Well, it, yeah, it's it's not so it's it's twenty million, and but you're paying him seven either way, 
you have to pay him seven to not play. So basically, it's is Joey Votto worth thirteen million? Is the question that we should be asking. And I just at forty years old, let's take the production out of it. How can he actually stay healthy for a full season? And it's not a Joey Votto. How many forty year olds can actually stay healthy for a full season? That's where I, I also kind of get into this and holding a spot and and just the forty man roster spots in themselves become really valuable over the course of a year. It makes it harder to um, shift pitchers up and down from from Louisville because you can't hold those spots. So that that's where I just think it becomes a little bit too complicated. I wouldn't completely rule it out. I would completely rule it out that you know the Reds said, hey, they they kind of start looking at free agents and they go. Hey, Joey's interested in coming back on a shorter on on a you know a, a smaller dollar amount deal. I wouldn't rule it out, but it sure felt like it was the end that last week to me. Yeah, and I mean, not many forty-year-olds uh, can stay healthy throughout the year at you know an accounting firm, let alone on a baseball field. So I think I'll go with that route. But to to that point, what do you think from a ownership standpoint? that we're going to do as far as I feel like I've seen this, you know, I'm, I'm 30. I feel like I've seen like the rebuild where we have all this young talent and then, you know, we might make the first round of the playoffs in a couple of years, we blow it all up. If you're in ownership, what do you, what kind of moves do you think we, we will be making or what kind of moves do you think we should make um, in order to kind of keep the train rolling? Cause obviously we're a little bit earlier than expected right now. So just kind of looking at the the rough math right now, it looks like the Reds have about $40 million committed out, and that's including paying Joey Votto the buyout, paying Kirk Casale his small buyout, and some of those other little things. It's only about $40 million. Reds payroll, I think, was at 93.5 or something at the end of the year, and that was this year, a year they weren't even really trying to win, if we're being honest. So, I mean, you can, you can spend 50-plus million dollars, and you didn't even really – do anything but it's going to feel like they're doing something right i would guess they probably go a little above 100 million uh i i don't think the reds are going to want to get into a bunch of long-term contracts i think the reds want to avoid those as much as possible i think the the reds uh definitely don't want to go and force a contract like we did with mike moustakis and kind of have that kind of eat into the 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 prime of ellie de la cruz and matt mcclain and and all of those type of guys. For me, if it was up to me, I'd be looking at just adding two starting pitchers and a right-handed outfielder. And if you could get a catcher, that made sense to do that. But I wouldn't like force a catcher because if you look at the catching free agent markets and how expensive it would be to try to make a trade, it's that's where you really get into a, a difficult situation where you're giving up way too much. Uh, but that would be me in a perfect world. I'd love to add two starting pitchers. I'd leave the bullpen alone. I'd go into camp with like 10 capable starting pitchers. That's what the Dodgers do every year. And whoever doesn't make the rotation either goes to AAA or goes to the bullpen. You have a better bullpen. You have better depth at AAA. And, and you're not having to waste starts throughout the year. Because if you just if you just add up how many starts the Reds wasted this year of, of filler guys, that's a lot of wins you're potentially leaving out on the table just because you don't have that 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 depth. So I, I like going into a, a year with at least eight starting pitchers that I feel comfortable with. Hey, here's the thing. Uh, when you're looking at the catching market out there, if you're potentially going to bring in a catcher, I, I don't know his contract situation, but based on the fact that it seems like he's a free agent every year, should we start the petition? Bring Yasmani Grandal home. Is it finally time to bring him home? And, and to to make it a, a dual threat question here, 
a, a double barrel question, which my, my talent coach in TV said, you never do. Cause he's only going to answer one of them, but I know you, Nick Kirby, you're going to answer both of these. Yasmani one, two, does that mean you're not sold on Tyler Stevenson as an everyday catcher? I'm not sold, but I'm not giving up. I, it might be kind of a weak hedge answer, but I, I'm interested to see what Tyler Stevenson could do this offseason. Because remember, he was coming off of a really brutal shoulder injury last year. He didn't have a, a normal offseason. I'm interested to see what he can work on. Stevenson's starting to get close to that arbitration time where he is playing for money. So you would think he has every reason to be motivated this offseason to work on his deficiencies. So I don't think you need to give up on him. It's funny you bring up Yasmani Grandal because that's the guy that I just keep looking at. I have to know a little bit more about that situation in Chicago because there was a lot of bad stuff going on there. But is that just the White Sox or was that Yasmani adding to that? He had that whole beef with Tim Anderson where I think he wanted to leave early for the all-star break or something. There was some, so I'd have to make sure that, you know, you don't want to bring in a, a bad vibes guy into this really cool, fun young team, but man, that's a guy that, that you might be able to actually get on a one-year deal and you're buying low on. And if it doesn't work out, it's a one-year deal. It does nothing. You move on to 2024. It's not or 2025. It's not something that lingers over. That's the contracts. The Reds don't need, they don't need to get, they can sign Mike Moustakis for one year. They can't sign Mike Moustakis for four years. Yeah, and Shogo Akiyama for multiple years. And hey, if, if Yasmani Grandal didn't work out, you could probably trade him for Matt Latos again because, you know, <laughs> Latos is out there looking for another opportunity and he's still got the stuff. You know, he's still got the intangibles. Oh, uh, God, that was bad. Latos, he showed so much promise, man. All right, Houdini. Um, I gotta, I gotta make sure I ask this question. It's probably, you probably don't hear this guy brought up too much when you're talking Reds baseball, but I am part of a very small, but loud fan base for, uh, we call it the stew crew, Stuart Fairchild. Okay. Now I don't know if the advanced analytics say a lot of good things about my guy Stu, but first off, I want to know your thoughts on him. Just, you know, even if you don't have anything good to say, say something nice for all the stew fanatics out there. And then also, I'll be honest, I'm not huge on the the contract situation with the arbitration and baseball and all that stuff. Do you have any idea what he looks like? I know he's not, you know, some star that's going to be demanding a lot of money, but I wasn't sure if you had any idea about what his contract situation looks like. So the Reds still have Stu through 2028 if they choose to keep him. So they're they're in pretty good, pretty good spot there. Stu. It's funny. I'm a Stu fan. I got crushed. Oh, let's go. for- a crush for this defending Stuart Fairchild you're all year. Of everyone. You're a fan of everyone. That is true. That is true. You're, just a, a, you're a nice guy. Well, I'm either or I just don't talk about them if I'm not a fan. So there's, there's a few that I, I I don't like to be that that guy like that, that jumps online and and uh, crushes guys that are, you know, professional athletes that that I think are I only like to crush the guys that I, I feel like aren't trying and that kind of stuff. But I like Stuart Fairchild. This guy's got power. He's got speed. He can play, he plays defense. I think he's the perfect platoon type player because the Reds have three left-handed outfielders, and two of them cannot hit lefties to save their life. And Will Benson and Jake Fraley. Uh, I I think they should keep him. It, it gets into a tough number crunch. Uh, I believe the date is November seventeenth. When November seventeenth gets around, you have to have your roster down to. 40 players and you have to um 
take all the guys off the 60-day IL, which is Graham Ashcraft, Nick Liddell, and there's a couple others on the Reds, and some of the guys that are in the minor leagues, uh, that once you reach um, a certain amount of time in the minor leagues, you have to be put on a 40-man roster. Last year, uh, those guys were Ellie De La Cruz uh, and uh, uh, guys like that. Lion Richardson was one of them one of a more interesting one that was kind of on the fence. I think it were Adam or not. And obviously it looks like that was a really smart decision because he made it all the way to the big league. So I think they should keep him, but it could be a tough numbers game with him. But I, I like what he provides. I, I, I think there's a, the potential that he could be a guy that could, could break out because he has the power. He has the speed. He has the defense. Will he maybe be nothing more than a nice little fourth, fifth outfitter? Maybe, but I, I think there's a possibility there. I love that. <laughs> the stew crew. The stew the crew. Stew crew oh, yeah. The stew like crew that. is going to take down the brew crew in, in a game next year on a walk-off home run. I love it. Uh, Reds have so many infielders right now that you wonder what what can they do with all these guys? How do they play Jonathan India? Is he a viable option at second base? At the same time, what does Jonathan India even return you at this point with his value, uh, with how he struggled offensively down the stretch, getting injured, and, and then the way that he plays defense? That's A. But could you package him, and would you package him with a, a Collier or an Edwin Arroyo, something like that? And if you wouldn't, are there any trades you'd move make this off season uh, to move someone in maybe pitching wise in your favor, or are you attacking free agency? I mean, I would certainly prefer the Reds spin in free agency and not give up any of these prospects that they've worked so hard to build a strong farm system. Um, there might be situations uh, there. There's some players that are, are interesting to me that I know I've kind of started just the brief dive into this off season. Like Lance McCullers is a guy that's maybe a buy low candidate where he's owed a lot of money. So he may not have to give up a huge prospect to give back. Jonathan India, the, the biggest question you got to answer is what is his value? What, what are teams willing to give up to him before you even really consider what do you do with him? Uh, I think it would be an absolute travesty if he's starting second base for the Reds on opening day in 2023. He's a terrible defensive player. Uh, and you have Noel V. Marte, Ellie De La Cruz, and Matt McClain. There's just there's no reason. Uh, having said that, if Jonathan Indy is not going to bring you back some really good return, I already said I think you need a right-handed outfielder. Jonathan Indy could be your right-handed outfielder. Now, is he is he willing to move to the outfield without it causing a huge, big ordeal? I don't know the answer to that. Do the Reds think he's actually athletic enough to play the outfield and could play it decent enough? I think he probably could, but they would know more on that than me. There's just so many like different questions about Jonathan India that you have to have answered before you figure out what the hell you do with him. Uh, I'm not against them keeping him, moving to the outfield. I'm not against them trading him. The problem with trading him is I don't see how you're going to get anything back for India other than lower-level prospects. I don't have a problem with that, but I know a lot of other people would because I think a team acquiring Jonathan India is in win-now mode, right? Like, they're not going to want to be giving up MLB pieces or pieces that are close to it. They're going to want to giving up someone that's farther away uh, because Jonathan India is not, not this, like, superstar that you're acquiring. So that that's what makes it really interesting and fascinating to me. I could see it going either way, to be honest. 
Yeah, and um, this question isn't even, we're going to switch it up, isn't even really in regards to the Reds. I'm more curious. We talked earlier about how you did like 150 live shows, essentially. You missed only a handful of games. What What's your secret there? Are you doing, you know, drinking coffee by the gallon? Is it Red Bull? Is it just that Stuart Fairchild energy you're living off of? What was the secret of doing an entire season? I thought that was pretty impressive in general, just even doing this once a week or twice a week. What's the secret of Chatterbox Reds? Well, a supportive wife, number one. You got to start <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> if you don't have a supportive wife uh, and you have kids, there's no way you could do something like that. Uh, there was a lot of energy drinks consumed. I will say that. I'm a night owl, naturally, so that helped a lot. Um, I would much rather uh, go to bed at 2 and wake up at 10. Uh, there was some days, you know, once school started for my kids, that's when it became a little. September was really rough getting the getting uh, my son on the bus in the mornings. But, yeah, a lot of caffeine. And, uh, I mean, the Reds still being in a race kind of helped, helped. If the Reds would have been, like, 20 games out in September, that would have been a real struggle. Was the plan to do it, even like, even if they were, you know, 30 games below 500, was the plan to keep – you were doing a live show no matter what, rain or shine. Yeah, yeah. Every The plan was every game. Uh, it it would have been a little bit different. I think if, if the season had gone a little bit more to plan, which I'm glad it didn't go to plan because I, if, if the Reds would have been out of it, I think a lot of these shows in September would have been like 15, 20 minutes. Cause I don't think you're going to have a huge audience. Hey, let's jump on a watch chatterbox Reds. And you know, I'm all about talking about Stuart Fairchild, but I don't know if, I don't know if the, the entire Reds nation's there yet. So they would have, they would have been a lot shorter shows. So I think that would have helped. A little bit, but you know, you had the adrenaline of the the playoff race that kind of evened it out. Yeah, and Houdini is actually—I know he's part of the Stew Crew, an illustrious fan club. But uh, his favorite player back in the day, an overlooked red, one Chris Heisey. He was a uh, he was a massive Chris Heisey fan. He often said that back in the uh, the, the our, our days in college, where we'd be rocking the Votto jerseys and Brandon Phillips and Bronson Arroyo. No, he was running around with a Chris Heisey customized. What was he? Was he 20, uh, 28. twenty? He was twenty. Twenty eight. 28 Chris Heisey. That's how you know Nick Kirby is a diehard fan. Hey, here's what I need you to do. The fact that he knows Chris Heisey's number off the top of his head, unprovoked. I need you to download Chatterbox Reds right now on Chatterbox Sports. I know the season's over and they may not be going with that much content until spring training starts, but they're going to have some hot stoves here and there. And you want that thing popping up game one next year because it's an exciting team and they are on top of it. You can clearly tell from this conversation he knows the team. I have one more question for you, Nick, before we let you get some sleep, some well-deserved sleep after a long season. Nick Kroll, um, just seems like a genius right now. You, you saw what the Angels did in going out there and getting Lucas Giolito and giving up two of their top prospects, including you know Edgar Cairo, their, uh, their, their top catching prospect, and then that left-handed pitcher that was good too. And then you know they, they throw Giolito on the waivers. And I know other teams like the Cubs, they went after it. A little bit and they went out and got Candelario and they um, gave up a pretty good pitching prospect and, and Nelson Velasquez, who's a pretty good outfielder to get a reliever from the Royals. They don't even make the playoffs. Neither of those te two teams do. Nick Kroll did exactly what I thought was was smart. And at one point in the season, I said, go out there and get Dylan Cease 
go out there and give give the White Sox an offer they can't refuse for Luis Robert, someone that's under control for two, three years, and let's build this thing through a trade. And he just stayed put. He said, I'm going to stay the course. We're going to be pretty good this year, but we are somewhat fraudulent. I know that. We're not going all in this year. Just um, how, how much credit can you give Nick Crawl for what he's done in Cincinnati? I think he deserves all the credit. I mean, uh, while I'm not a sell the team and, and rallying the troops and I, I don't really enjoy that kind of negative energy. Like I don't think the Reds ownership at the same time is great. I'm not throwing them a parade. And I think with what he's had to work with, I think he's done an incredible job. Uh, even, even the, the, the deadline moves. I know a lot, they got a lot of flack at the time, but I also remember when, the Reds traded Jesse Winker and AUA into Suarez, and everyone lost their ever-loving minds. And I tell you what, that Brandon Williamson guy, that Jake Fraley guy, and that Connor Phillips guy all look pretty good, and the Reds have control of them for the next, uh, in, in Phillips' case, six more years. In Williamson's case, six more years. In Fraley's case, like three more years. And uh, Suarez is now going to be a free agent. Jesse Winker is is barely even playing for the Brewers. Um, so, again, I... With Nick Crawl, it's patience. The Nick Crawl is thinking six steps ahead. Like uh, he's not looking at the the immediate, and that's what the Reds need. They they need a forward thinker. Uh, they they need someone that that's going to be looking ahead, and, and that's the only way that you can have. And I know they just got eliminated today, the Tampa Bay Rays. You can have that success where you're competitive every single year, and that's what I hope the Reds get to. I hope that this is the lat that that 2023 was the last year that we go into a season and say, yeah, the Reds probably don't have a chance. I hope that never happens again. And if you do this right, it doesn't have to happen again. Or or it's a very um, infrequent thing that happens. We're from Cincinnati, Nick. It's it's going to happen again. It's a matter of time. Let's get like a, a good 10 years and a decade. We can talk about that happening again. But the, the rest of time is a long time because, as you know, um, in the city of Cincinnati, we're not always gifted great things in the sporting world. But, hey, appreciate the time today, man. Houdini, you got anything else? Any uh, any, any everlasting words for, for our man Kirby on the way out? It's been a I long guess I do have season. one more question for you. With, with the name oh, Kirby, did you, when you played Super Smash growing up, Houdini's top game and his MySpace top five for video games, did you play with Kirby or did you have another character? Obviously, I played with Kirby. I mean, yeah, duh. <laughs> it's a given. I was called a uh, Furby. I was called Furby Kirby uh, for uh, for for a long time in uh, junior high. It's like the Furbies were coming out. Oh and, yeah, uh, that was. Uh, that was an adventure. Yeah. Hey, uh, tough times at Ridgemont High for, for our man, Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds, download it right now, and thanks you for joining the chatter today. Chatterbox Sports to the moon, baby. Let's do it. Let's go. Thanks for having me, guys. Love what you guys are doing. All right, here's a good segue from that to what we're doing next. What do you think Randy Johnson's favorite fast food joint is? Oh, probably Hardee's. That's a good guess. I was going to say potentially rallies. Uh, he seems like a rallies or Hardy's guy, or if he likes Italian, maybe a Fazoli's, but Fazoli's may, uh, linger into fast casual. This is the MySpace top five backed by popular demand and it's fast food, no fast casual. So Chipotle, you're off the list. Uh, Fazoli's, as we mentioned, not that you were going to pick Fazoli's that's off the list. Um, anything of that tier that is fast casual. I went first last. So why don't you, uh, start us off? With number five, Houdini's favorite fast food joint. 
Number five, it's going to be Taco Bell. Taco Bell, they know what they're doing. I'm pretty sure their creative team is just a bunch of college students that get super high, and then they create a new menu item and then drop it because they have just the most outlandish stuff, and it's all just so fire. Great, great establishment. Taco Bell number five. Don't want to eat it sober or anything like that, but it is, uh, it's a solid, uh, solid spot for number five. I will say the grilled cheese burrito with steak, it's the best thing on the menu. I've told you this before, Houdini. No one gets it. Everyone's sticking to the hits. They're getting the quesadillas. They're getting the chalupa. They're getting the cheesy gordita crunch. Those are three of my favorites. The grilled cheese burrito, when made right, hot off the grill, is the best menu item at Taco Bell. That's a good number five, though. I'm going to go with – see, I'm going to try to get one of everything because I don't want to go with like two chicken joints or two burger joints. I want to diversify my portfolio. So I'm going with a very, very controversial number five, Long John Silver's. There's not many of them out in the world, but they have good Jail. fried fish, uh, tartar sauce, jumbo shrimp. Their hush puppies are fantastic. They got the fried clams. It's very slept on. You know, everyone just assumes, oh, how are you going to eat fast food fish? It's disgusting. They catch those fish out of the Hocking River, and then they fry them. That's gross. No, it's a Yum Brands, same as Taco Bell, same as Pizza Hut, same as KFC. It's a good establishment that slept on Long John Silver's number five. I mean, what number five for Long John Silver's is criminal behavior. I did. Obviously, this is a sick, twisted joke that you're throwing on me. Like, what? what's next? Burger King is going to be your number one. I want one of every food group, and I'm not going with Captain D's because there, that's where, like, people go there and actually order salmon from a fast food joint. That's disgusting. Long John Silver's is just a bunch of fried food. Are you telling me you don't like fried fish and hush puppies? Like, what's the issue? What is everyone's issue with long john silvers I, I don't get it maybe if it's during lent and i'm following the fish friday rule i'll i'll even look at a long john silvers well i've canceled they- that i've canceled fish on fridays because it's all a, a a publicity scheme to get more people to eat fish there's nothing in the bible that said you have to eat fish on friday so i've talked about it you've said chuck you eat a meatball hoagie on friday elevator down i say no i've canceled that i eat pepperoni pizzas every single friday and i am awaiting my ticket upstairs yeah i mean that that is just big fish created this whole idea that you have to eat uh, only fish on fridays fish fillet at mcdonald's yep. has made a fucking killing on it it's it's sick what they're doing um anywho my number four is going to be Arby's probably controversial. Uh, I love a junior roast beef. Granted, the pricing has completely got out of hand. If you get like a, a roast beef sandwich, it's legitimately six fifty. It's like if you and you need to get two of them, so you spend like twenty six bucks at a Arby's. But they have everything. They got great mott sticks. If you want to do wings, they do like chicken salad and shit. I think they're trying a little too hard over there at Arby's right now. But uh, Arby's solid spot. I, I, I'm a big fan personally. The Jamocha shakes are excellent. They have, and, and I'm a cheese stick connoisseur. I told Matt Jones this on our episode, and that's a tease. If you haven't listened to our Matt Jones interview, go back and listen to it. I'm great at cross-promoting. But yeah, Arby's, best cheese sticks in the game. They now have like the little sliders, the the pizza version, and the chicken sandwiches. They, they have a little bit of everything. Good call there on number four. I'm going to go with, you know, I was thinking Mickey D's, I was thinking Culver's, I was thinking a, a burger place, but I'm going to hit a little bit of everything. Portillo's, based in Chicago. They have Chicago dogs. They have chili dogs. They have chicken sandwiches. They have really big, good cheeseburgers. They have great cake shakes, uh, good service. 
Portillo's is good. I'm a, I'm a big glizzy gobbler myself. Okay, nobody cut that and then promote that. But yes, uh, the the dogs are good. Portillo's they had one in Arizona for some reason. Um, but anytime that there's a kind of a gourmet dog out there, it, it I feel like it hits every time. So I'm I'm a big fan. I don't hate that at uh, at number four. Um, I'm gonna be on the fly and start diversifying my portfolio because now you got my head. So number three. From the clouds, I'm going to take Canes, a chicken tender joint, okay? Their toast is is absolutely fire. And I know another controversial thing is their coleslaw. Some people say you get the double toast, you get rid of the coleslaw. I love the coleslaw. I'm a coleslaw guy as well. So I love the the, the tender basket, whatever they call it, like the Caniac or some shit. Um, but th- that's a very consistent place. I've never really had a bad experience there, so I'm going to do that at number three. When I was working for 95.7 The Game, home of the Golden State Warriors shouts in San Francisco doing radio shows, one of my big things was there was a, a listener named Ernie. And Ernie basically on the air called in one night, and I was talking about how Zion Williamson's a future Hall of Famer. I'm still on the Zion Williamson train if he can just get healthy. He's a superstar. And Ernie's like, Zion sucks. Put your money where your mouth is. Zion is an all-star for years to come and is an MVP like candidate or in five years, you have to send me canes. And I'm like, Ernie, I don't know how closely you think we're going to be in touch over these next five years if I'm not in this market, but sure. So I owe Ernie canes and uh, he's getting his order ready right now, which is undoubtedly chicken tenders because it's their only thing on the menu. So Ernie, if you're listening, you're not getting any canes. Because Zion Williamson's coming for the Hall of Fame. He just needs to get healthy, and he needs to knock it off with Mariah Mills. Number three, you say chicken, I say chicken. We'll go Chick-fil-A. was debating between Chick-fil-A and Popeye's, but at the end of the day, it's the breakfast that does it for me. The biscuits are sensational. You can mix it up in the afternoon, go with a chicken sandwich. Maybe you want to go healthy, get the grilled chicken wrap. They have ice cream. They have real good lemonade. They have solid coffees. The waffle fries, if you get them crispy or delicious, Chick-fil-A, number three. And for all the people out there that say, Chick-fil-A, this has nothing to do with their values. This has nothing to do for what they stand for. This has nothing to do with them being open on Sundays. I'm talking chicken alone, Chick-fil-A, number three. Well, that you just hit the nail on the head is why I did not have them in my top five. They're not open on Sundays. That's a huge problem for me. Okay. That's like my day to just eat like a complete jackass is Sundays and Chick-fil-A would be well up my list. And guys, I, I get it. It's like, you're not supposed to work on Sundays or, you know, the Sabbath or whatever. Grow. It's 2023. Get your ass to work on Sunday, fellas. Okay. And that goes to Chick-fil-A shout out them phenomenal, but couldn't put them on my board because of that reason. Number two, and this could be contentious Panda Express. It's got to be one of the most unhealthy things to eat. I think they put like a gallon of oil in, in every you know piece of orange chicken that they make. But big Asian cuisine guy over here. So I had to throw that in. Yeah, you turn 30 and start eating lo mein every week. Your tits will be jiggling for a month. Um, not good stuff for you there. Uh, they do have some fresh veggies, though, that you can sub out the rice at the lo mein and get like, I think it's broccoli and some other various types of veggies that are all terrible. I've done that before and had like one piece of broccoli and just two pounds of orange chicken. I'm like, I'm healthy, Kylan, doing the right thing. <laughs> it's a, honestly, that's a terrible number too. That's equally no. as bad as my number five, which was Long John Silver's. You just panic there because you left one on the board that I'm going to take. It's Skyline Chili, baby. I mean, Skyline Chili's coming in there as number two. The tried and the true. 
They got like three things on the menu. You get a Cholito, you get a three, four, five way, or you get a cheese Coney. And I say, screw the Cholito. It's, it's solid. Screw the three-way. I'm Coney's all day. Three cheese Coney's, mustard and onions, habanero cheese on one of them, and a water, please. That's the order of champions, folks. I would have done this number one because it's the, it's the top fast food establishment out there, but I didn't want to let you take it. So number two, Skyline Chili. They used to call me Cholito guy in college. Um, I'd be eating those, you know, by the dozen. And now I, I've switched a little bit more to the Coney three-way route. So I was your roommate. I don't remember anyone calling you Cholito guy ever. Um, oh, yeah. I remember you being Torpedo called the Cholito. I remember you being called the Eggman. There wasn't even a skyline on campus. How would you have got that name? I do remember you being called the Eggman because for about three months straight, you ate nothing but eggs. One, because you were a miser and you like to save money. Michaela, that's listening in the background, loves hearing that. Uh, Houdini's a, he's a man good with finances. There's there's a reason he's a banker. And then number two, you just like the taste of eggs, I guess. So uh, Yeah, they called me. Yeah, I was uh, Eggy Clowky for a while. Um, I think they, they called me... Huddy the cob. I ate a ton of corn too. I would just, I went through like weeks of just eating like bags of corn and like six scrambled eggs. Everyone knows it. It's, it's, it's always there and it always performs well. It's McDonald's. I mean, what more can you say? You can go to any fast food joint and when there's a bunch of them near each other, McDonald's line is out the ass. There's nobody. There's like a homeless guy at the Burger King drive-thru trying to knock on the window. That's it. Um, McDonald's, man. The breakfast is fantastic. The lunch is solid. Um, I, I The breakfast, I think, takes it to tier one for me. Um, so, number one, McDonald's, the blue chipper. Yeah, McDonald's, uh, the McGriddle, I think, may be the best menu item out there. It's delicious. I was a sausage cheese Great. biscuit guy growing up. I wouldn't get the egg. And everyone said, you're not going to get the sausage egg cheese biscuit. You're just going to get the sausage cheese. I go off the beaten path every time, you know, every once in a while I go off the beaten path. Um, what else is great about McDonald's? I mean, McDonald's, that's, that's a really solid number one pick. You can't go wrong. I will say though, if you're cheap variety, if you go dollar menu though, you're doing it wrong. You got to go there and get like a hot quarter pounder. You get a hot quarter pounder from McDonald's. Oh, sensational, sensational. My number one, this is a curveball. Cookout. You had cookout before. I have. I've had it like twice. So I, I'm not so, an expert on cookout. Every single person in a cookout is blacked out. That's a fact. Um, whether it's noon or 2 a.m. on a Monday or on a Saturday, doesn't matter. Every single person in there is slightly intoxicated. You get a tray for like seven bucks. And, and maybe it's gone up since I lived in Knoxville and inflation has hit it. But in that tray, you can get like a cheeseburger, a chicken quesadilla, a thing of mozzarella sticks or hush puppies, another cheeseburger. You get so much damn food and a drink for seven bucks. Everyone that's been there knows it's delicious food. The burgers are just as good as McDonald's. Solid variety. There's not a ton of them out there. But for those of you that have been lucky enough to eat at a cookout, you know why it's my number one. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say a lot about it since i've only had it about twice but people swear by it i think it's more of like a down south spot but people that are cookout people are are diehards i mean i don't know what's more intense the swifties or the cookout fan base because it's 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 intense for that but not a bad not a bad draft i mean wendy's i think really 
got shafted in this. No Wendy's. I feel like that is probably one of the, I don't know, most consistent places. It's a staple. If you see it, you know what you're getting. The junior bacon cheeseburger, the four for four, the spicy chicken nuggets. So I shout out Wendy's because I, I really think we dropped the ball not having them in the top five. Just couldn't figure well, a way to think, uh, fit them in. I just think cookout and McDonald's are better, eh? Um, I actually went there the other day and got their ranch grilled chicken wrap. It's not very good, man. They were using leftover chicken. You could just, you could tell by the texture that they did not cut that chicken fresh. They, uh, it had been sitting in a fridge. They microwaved it. Just not Tragedy. good texture. Their chili's good. I will say that. Uh, Wendy's has good chili when it doesn't have a finger in it. If you know, you know. But um, they got snubbed. Popeyes was snubbed. I'd say. Who else is in that list? That was, I mean, KFC. No one eats a KFC. I'm shocked. Even I lived in Kentucky. You lived in Kentucky. Even there, the drive-through was empty. Like, how the hell is KFC still around? Um, so no one does. That didn't get snubbed by any means. I would say, I would say Bojangles got snubbed. It's a solid spot. Zaxby's rallies. completely overrated. Rallies, yes. Rallies everyone that is working in there is wearing a uniform that looks like they work at a Jiffy Lube. Kind of even the sign. I think we've talked about this before. Even like everything about rallies kind of looks like that they converted Jiffy Lubes into rallies. You know, it was like a place where you used to get your oil changed. And they're like, hey, what are we going to do with this space? It's set up perfectly like a Jiffy Lube. Hey, let's just turn it into a rally. We'll sell burgers, really good fries, milkshakes. Everything on our menu is going to be about 1,800 calories. Oh, you want a salad? You're not coming to rallies. I don't even think they have those on the menu. Oh, they'll beat the shit out of you if you ask for a salad at rallies. They'll just straight up square up immediately. Covered in oil. There's, I feel like there's a lot of piss in those buildings. I, I've never been in, but it just seems like it's full of piss in there. So that's why I couldn't fit on my top five. But from a food standpoint, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Nothing like a big Buford. Dude, Danny, any last word for me? I got absolutely nothing. See ya. See ya.